0: Because if we're just blindly consuming and we're not stopping to wonder how these things are affecting our lives or how they're, you know, in some ways controlling our lives, uh, then I think that's where we're really going down that dangerous road. You're listening to The Corbett Report. Welcome back, friends. James
1: Corbett here, CorbettReport.com, and a conversation that's being recorded on the 27th of January 2020, about 10 a.m. Japanese time for those keeping uh, track at home. And... Today, we're going to be talking to a guest that you will know by now, if only from our repeated conversations with him in the past. We're talking to Derek Bros of theconsciousresistance.com, and the link will be in the show notes in case you have trouble typing that into your URL uh, bar. But... Uh, you will, as I say, be familiar with him and our repeated conversations about issues like agorism, counter-economics, freedom cells, holistic anarchism. We've talked about many different things that we will be talking about again today in a slightly different context and in some more detail surrounding a book that Derek has just written called How to Opt Out of the Technocratic State, which is obviously a timely and important uh, topic to be talking about. So it's an honor to have you back on the program, Derek. Thanks for joining us.
0: Yeah, James. Thanks for having me. It's always good. I think we've talked about uh, everything you said there, and the finders, and so much more. That's right. So I hope people will check out our previous
1: conversations if they haven't done so. I'll put the link in the show notes along with everything else that we talk about today, uh, because some of these uh, concepts are foundational and will be important to what we're talking about today. But let's let's start with the the sort of big picture of this book: How to opt out of the technocratic state. What is the in the short form? What is this book, and why did you uh, write it?
0: well so your viewers will be familiar with the term technocracy you know and the state general especially if they've listened to your interviews with Patrick wood and others uh, describing the technocracy that we're seeing unfold here with things like the 5g smart grid and with uh, biometrics and facial recognition scanning and just this whole push towards the smart world that we're seeing um, especially in regards to the environmental, that uh, this is the solution. So yeah, like you say, it's very timely. This is something that I am experiencing more and more every day, living in a big city like Houston out here in uh, Texas in the US. We are one of the first places where 5G is rolling out. We have biometrics at the airports now and just all these things have been coming together. And uh, for a while, I've been seeing that the, these these events are kind of converging around 2020 and this coming decade that so much of it is beginning this year. As well as other things, like I would say the push for mandatory vaccinations also played into my thoughts in this book generally. And most of it it just centers around the, the aspects of the, uh, the state and government which uses technology and is trying to sort of force that on us. And whether that means coercively with a gun to the head or more subtly through things like social uh, credit and social engineering – That I just, I honestly don't have, as I say in the book, I don't have a a whole lot of hope for moving past this stage. I don't think once these switches get turned on, it's going to be so easy as just... You know, protesting the streets, or just you know, repealing them, and things like that. So I started to think in more practical terms of what it could look like to provide solutions to people who are, you know, recognizing these same problems. Um, you know, here we are recording on a Sunday. Just yesterday, there was a global protest against 5G and the smart grid all around the world. Lots of people are paying attention to this, and I think it's it's an appropriate theme for the moment. And I've tried to talk about that in a way that is, I think, unique because it it does touch on some of the things we touched on before, counter-economics and others, but applying them in a way that I haven't seen before.
1: That's exactly right and I want to commend you on that specifically in this book because you do start with a section describing for readers who may not know what it is technocracy and giving sort of succinct summary of it but you spend the majority of the book and you go straight into essentially the solution side of this which is refreshing because yes we know uh, the corporate report audience by now knows the problem and knows it in excruciating detail That isn't so much the issue at this point. Once you are aware of the problem, what do you do about it? And I appreciate the way that you get into the heart of that matter quite quickly. So we will do the same in this conversation, except I'd just like to touch on one point before we do that. In your opening uh, section on technocracy, you quote heavily from Zbigniew Brzezinski's Between Two Ages, America's Role in the Technotronic Era, a work that, again, I hope the corporate board audience is familiar with, and I've referenced numerous times myself. But in rereading some of the passages that you reproduce here, a couple of them really stuck out to me this time, although I've read them before, but it really it, it surprised me. Uh, for example, when he says, Persisting social crisis, the emergence of a charismatic personality, and the exploitation of mass media to obtain public confidence would be the stepping stones in the piecemeal transformation of the United States into a highly controlled society. And another quote that stuck out to me, in the Technotronic Society, the trend seems to be towards aggregating the individual support of millions of unorganized citizens who are easily within the reach of magnetic and attractive personalities, and effectively, effectively exploiting the latest communication techniques to manipulate emotion and control reason. And uh, those those quotes jumped out, out at me sp- specifically, because if you told me that Brzezinski wrote that in the year 2020, I would say, my God, he's communicating to us from beyond the grave. But beyond that, I would say that really does apply very much to what is happening right now in a way that uh, it really could be ripped from the pages of the headlines of the, of the daily news today. Talk about that aspect of it and the way technocracy has brought us to this point where control of the masses is really now for the first time in human history, really and truly in the grasp of the dictators.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I went through uh, the between two ages to to sort of mine for quotes that not just to find quotes that back up what I'm saying, but also to look at the full context, because, you know, of course, the globalists, for lack of a better term, they always frame their um, their goals as they're doing it for the benefit of everybody. And he still tries to do that within there and say, we want to tackle climate disasters. and We want to do all these things. But in order to do that, we need to have mass control of society and and everything like that. So, yeah, as I said, he calls it technotronic, you know, technocratic. It really doesn't matter, I guess, which one you prefer, but at the end of the day, I believe he was describing the same exact plan that comes out of the uh, technocracy movement, you know, of the early 20th century and even ideas that I would say somewhat existed before that as technology started evolving. Right. And now we're at the point where digital technology, surveillance technology, again, the 5G smart grid, all of these things are kind of coming together at once and we're already seeing it play out in, in China. Of course, it's really a great example when it comes to social credit, when it comes to denying people the ability to live as they, you know, as they please. Um, and that's honestly, to me, the more worrisome aspect of it, because as you said, these di- the dictators of the past only could dream that they would have this sort of technology where they could know what every citizen was doing at all times. And they could even, instead of having to send soldiers to come shoot them down or arrest them or beat them down, they just you know, turn a little switch and drop some points on their score until they comply. And I I really do fear for the point, you know, that where we get to that point where uh even people who maybe follow our our um content and who know what's going on but still for one reason or another and i and i point to this in the book say well sorry buddy but you know i got to take the kids on vacation next month or sorry but you know i can't hang out with you because otherwise i won't get that loan coming up like there's so many different ways that they're starting to have the ability to socially engineer everything and i don't watch much tv but every time i'm near a tv i hear this commercial Promoting the smart grid the technocracy. It's a you know, it's a, one of the insurance companies telling you how much your rates are going to be cheaper if you just let them they don't tell you this, but if you just let them get access to everything in your car and track your, you know, your location and your behavior and all this. So we're being sold it in so many different ways. Uh, this past Christmas season, 2019, for I think the second or third year, the hottest selling item were the Home Assistants, Google Home Assistants, things like that. So people are completely embracing this technology. They're rushing towards it. Every time I go to the gym, people got the Bluetooth uh, headphones in, the latest trend. Anything that is trendy and coming up, people are accepting it, and then they're getting it through so many ways. And And of course, we've seen this coming for years now. But I think the 2020s are really the point where we're going to see the the full erection of this, you know, what I'm calling technocratic state and, you know, it coming into implementation. So – we can look to Zbigniew uh, Brzezinski's words and, and really see that what he talked about before is, is is happening now. And yeah, it's interesting that he mentioned a charismatic leader and charismatic personality, because obviously we see that with Trump and with other kind of strongman uh, authoritarian leaders. And whether it's people falling under the spell or the spell of being opposed to that you know, and, and kind of being deranged by it, it's it's still working one way or the other.
1: Exactly right, two sides of the same coin that only strengthens the, the fundamental underlying system of we need a strongman. And if if that isn't our strongman, then we have to fight to get our strongman in. And guess what, Americans, for the next several months, that's all you're going to be hearing every single day. That is going to be it. It's who will be the president is going to be the number one question that you have to devote all your time, energy, and emotion towards and invest your identity in, as if that makes... Any difference whatsoever to the technocratic agenda that we see rolling out? It is still rolling out under Trump. It will roll out if some Democrat gets in in 2020. It doesn't matter in the least to the technocrats whether it is a D or an R ruling over the technocratic system, which does, of course, leave us, as always, in the in the situation of saying, "Well, what is the solution then?" Certainly, ticking a box uh, every four years is going is going to help us. No. Oh, well, then what can we possibly do about it? And As I say, this book goes into some degree of detail in answering that question in in an interesting way, and one that, again, touches on things that we've talked about before, about counter-economics and agorism and freedom cells and the future of freedom generally. So let's broach that topic by introducing a very important person who, again, will be familiar to people who've watched our previous conversations, but let's introduce him again. Sek Three Samuel E. Konkin III. Tell us a little bit about him, his ideas, and how they inspired this work
0: yeah of course so uh, Samuel Konkin is was an activist excuse me an activist you know philosopher you could say and generally a thinker trying to think of solutions to the problems we're facing he was really active in the 60s student movement he came down from Canada went to a school in Wisconsin and was working with a lot of the activists who were you know Murray Rothbard and Carl Hess and a lot of the people both left and right and trying to figure out well how the heck are we going to get out of this mess and he didn't believe voting was the answer he didn't believe violence was the answer and that's why he proposed this sort of third path that he called countereconomics. And um for those who are familiar with any sort of Austrian school of thought, you understand that when we talk about economics, it doesn't Always specifically mean and you know exchange of money. Every decision we're making is an economic decision, one way or the other. You know, choosing to spend time doing one activity, choosing time with a person, another one person or not. Those are all economic decisions that affect your life and and everything about it. And so when he was talking about counter economics, he discussed economy that was counter to the mainstream economy. And he makes it clear it's not anti economics of. You know sort of it, it's rejecting the mainstream economics but also recognizing that by taking our money time energy support etc out of their system and redirecting it towards you know what he called the agora we can create uh, a new world not so we can replace the old one and become the rulers of the you know of things but in, in order to allow decentralization and uh, spontaneous order to flourish and for people to form, you know, the communities or the, the lives that they want. And, you know, that's, of course, the the short version of it. But that's the main aspect of it. And what I've tried to pull from for this book is recognizing that what he's essentially talking about is opting out of a system that is immoral. OK, so many people, especially your viewers, will understand the, uh, the failures of the central banking system, the Federal Reserve System. And at, from an agorist counter-economic perspective, the answer to that then is to limit your involvement with that system as much as possible. So, you know, try not to uh, have an interaction with the banks that are a part of the Federal Reserve System try not to even use the dollar when possible, use alternative currencies or barter networks or you know trade directly for work. There's a lot of different strategies there. And so Konkin first started with that. But he also, throughout his life, he wrote uh, The New Libertarian Manifesto, which came out in 1979. And then he was also writing The Agorist Primer, which was published just after his death in 2004. But he had actually written a third book, which was just titled Counter Economics. And it was finished, I think, by the late 80s. He couldn't find any publishers he claims you know it was too radical for any of the mainstream publishers at the time and he kind of just gave up on it and uh it just sat on some old computer for years and then of course he died in 2004 and most of those essays and works and as i put into the the book because we put it in print for the first time he had a very detailed outline of what he envisioned and honestly you know when i first heard about this i thought okay this is a new project i'm going to finish this book that he never uh, that he didn't get to finish and when I got to look at it, I was like, "Wow, he had a really big vision here." And it was a little intimidating. Like, okay, I, you know, maybe if I completely dedicated a good couple of years, maybe I think I could really flesh this out and modernize it for him. And because he had so many notes and so much detail that he was working on, uh, but ultimately, it, you know, it just was too much for me at the time. I felt like the best way for me to go about it is to take the best ideas of his work and then to bring it down to the modern era and kind of intersect that with the technocracy. Because I also started to think about this. I really believe in these ideas. We've talked about it for years. I've written books and given speeches and things like that. But I started asking myself, how does this work, though, with social with social credit? Because I never thought about that. How do you opt out of the system and not use the system if you get penalized for that? And like I said, there are going to be people who have to make decisions. I have a family I need to feed. And if I go to this protester. if I'm friends online with this person posting these anti-government things, my score is going to go down. And how does that situation look? And so I decided to, for one, sort of uh, help Konkin's work stay alive and put it into print. So I put all the full essays that he did finish, as well as his notes on the unfinished essay. They're the third part of the book towards the back for those who want to dive deep into that. And I also took inspiration from some of the things he wrote there and integrated them into the chapters that I did complete. And I also, and so some of it's a mix of previous essays I've written that I've updated and um, you know made a little bit more full, I would say, and then completely new material, as well as some things that I took from his notes and then worked them into my work. So, yeah. So counter economics, I think, is the solution, or at least it's it's one of the solutions when we understand that. Opting out of the system doesn't just mean financially, but in all these different ways. And when it comes to the technocracy, starting to be conscious and skeptical of the way that we're using the technology and, and how quickly we choose to embrace it.
1: Exactly right. Now, first of all, for people who might have glossed over that, let's, let's stress the fact that this will be the first time that Sam Konkin's uh, counter-economics in unfinished form, of course, has been printed in physical form. So hats off to you for doing that. This is an important work that I'm glad will be preserved for the ages because of uh, your efforts here. So I do appreciate that. And it was the first time I'd read this. So I'm, I'm appreciative again for you putting this out there. Um, but let's let's go back a little bit. It, it, you talk, for example, opting out of, well, I mean, the central banking system and the the, the dollar, the fiat dollar. I mean, it's just so overwhelming the idea of, well, what can we possibly do about it? We have to use the dollar, so what You know, what can you do? And you talked about limiting our involvement with that system. I think that's the important way to emphasize this because there will be people who will come along and say, well, I can't opt out of everything. I can't live completely dollar-free. Therefore, your solution is worthless. Whereas the point is, no, it, is, it doesn't have to be a 100% you never use a dollar again in your life, But there are ways that you can limit your involvement with the state and the extent to which you can do that. Even little baby steps is important. Let's talk about that a little bit and your own example of how you do this in your life.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I did really strive to try to address all the different concerns because, um, you know, I understand that the particular lifestyle that I've chosen, which is very much embracing of these ideas, is and some would say on the fringes of society isn't going to feel necessarily appealing to the soccer mom or to somebody who is has a 401k and a you know 50 hour a week job. So I wanted to try to come at it with identifying solutions that can be applicable across the board, you know, and as you said, where people can recognize that you're not going to just go from being fully plugged into the system to unplug tomorrow. Um, And maybe for one reason or another, that might not even be your particular goal. As I acknowledge in the book, maybe you're just concerned about being able to safely surf the web without people spying on you. It's kind of difficult to do that. But I think that generally when people first start taking these steps uh, towards – for one being skeptical questioning the systems that they're using questioning the technology they're using that's how we start progressing towards that right because if we're just blindly consuming and we're not stopping to wonder how these things are affecting our lives or how they're you know in some ways controlling our lives uh then i think that's where we're really going down that dangerous road so in uh in one of the chapters which i've talked about before i think it's called vertical and horizontal algorithm, and i feel like that's probably one of the most effective ways to We actually have a little diagram that we created for this where people can see um, that for me, it's, it's about taking vertical and horizontal steps. And what I mean by that is taking steps, some that are a little more bold, where you're going from say slavery, statism towards freedom. um, And you can opt out of the system by choosing to become less dependent on the grocery store that is filled with Monsanto products, right? So you start visiting a farmer's market uh, once or twice a week and learning about the local farmers and getting your produce from them, right? And so that simple step, it doesn't seem very revolutionary. It kind of seems maybe quaint and almost too easy, right? But in that small step, you're lessening your dependence on that corporate You know, food distribution system, that corporate industrial farming system in general, and I think also developing an important relationship with somebody who is connected to the food, right? So something simple like that. And then uh, using the concept of freedom cells or mutual aid groups, people have a lot of names for them, but coming together in a group of seven to eight to nine people who have similar goals, similar ideas. And that can be as simple as Maybe you're a group of parents who, you know, want to be around other parents who don't uh, want to vaccinate or who, ha- who want to be able to talk freely about their opinions without being criticized by the other kids, at the, you know, the other parents at the playground. So you guys come together there to share parenting tips and ideas on how to break free from the system for your specific, you know, community. There's a lot of different ways and steps that I, I try to go over, as well as, like you mentioned, providing my own specific examples from my life, where I do provide a little bit of background. You know, I haven't, uh, used a bank in over a decade. I haven't messed with the IRS in just as long. And I haven't uh, had a paycheck, you know, with a you know a stub or some kind of actual, you know, form of uh, a payment that that, that that most people are used to. Now I've got uh, digital payments. I can show you blockchain records. I can, you know, show you different transactions and Patreon accounts and things like this. But I found when I was trying to still, as Konkin put it, interface with the, you know, regular world, that because i've started to pull myself out it's difficult you know you run into those difficulties being kind of halfway in halfway out and so when i was looking for you know to move into a new apartment of course i don't have all those typical things that they're like okay well can we see your uh your check stub from your employer i tried to explain that i get paid you know digitally or i get paid through patreon and you know their eyes kind of glaze over like what, what what are you talking about you know I uh, tried to, you know, OK, well, let's just see your bank, your bank records. I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't use those either. OK, well, then show us your tax records. then, And I'm like, uh, I don't have that either, you know. And after a while, basically, according to these people, I don't exist, right? But what it comes down to, and, and as I explain in the book, it comes down to trust, right? The only reason they ask for bank accounts or tax records is because for one reason or another, they have misguided trust in the banks and the government that, oh, if you have an official paperwork from those institutions, you're a human being you know you're a legitimate person i can trust you i'll rent to you so i talk about you know sort of uh, blockchain based methods to, be able to try to get around that and and different things that hopefully will come into fruition but really my goal with sharing that was just to try to get people to see that there are realistic difficulties with with maneuvering this and i do think um, that what Konkin called the counter economic community essentially strength in numbers is one of the the best solutions because, I mean, I know that we all can't move to some island and together and, you know, come together. That would be maybe a disaster. Maybe it would work out. But I do think that we have to figure out some way. And as I stress several times in the book, if things progress in the way they are, you're going to have to break the law at some point if you want to be free. I mean, that's just a reality. You're going to have to say, no, I won't take that mandatory vaccination. No, I won't submit to facial recognition scanning. No, I won't take that chip in my hand. No, I'm not going to let you control my life through social credit. You know, there's going to be some element of having to push back. So I try to provide simple solutions and ways to help us be as free as possible as we move towards that direction. And um, again, like it's, I hope the book doesn't come across as depressing or anything like that because I don't have a lot of optimism if people don't take action, you know, is what it comes down to.
1: Exactly right. Words without action are dead uh, just empty phrases and mean nothing. So that is important. And, uh, in fact, I will go one step further. I I wrote an introduction to counter-economics a few years ago that I'll link up in the show notes called You're Already a Criminal, talking about the three felonies a a day idea that you, you are already breaking numerous laws that you probably don't even know exist every single day and some that you do know exist, but it's all right because everybody breaks them. And that's the point. Once we have a cultural institutional framework of, well, everyone breaks the law because it's a stupid law. Then the law is worthless, and it is void by our actions. And uh, Kon- Konkin goes into that in some detail in the book, in various ways that happened in the old Soviet Union or in Italy, and he gives some other examples. So, th- some great uh, food for thought there about counter economics in general. And I, w- I want to hone in on some of the different ways that uh, this is accomplished. And in fact, one of the things that you said there that uh, that st- st- sticks out with me, uh, sticks out for me, is that um, when we are I mean, think even, for example, you talk about things like, oh, just, you know, go buying your food at a farmer's market instead of the supermarket. It's a tiny step, but it's hugely important when we start to think about that social credit system and the way that in the future your ability to buy and sell and interact is going to be limited by this social credit score unless... You already know, for example, the the farmer's market that exists in your area and you have access to it and you can directly exchange with the people who are directly providing the food. That is severing that link in the chain to the crown that exists that by which they'll lead the population along. And we are in... I suppose a period of relative liberty where you can go and source out your farmer's market and buy raw milk and other things. I mean, that that can be illegal depending on whatever laws they're putting into place, but it's being done right now. And even just knowing that infrastructure and supporting it at this stage seems like a baby step, but it's hugely important as to which direction our society is going to go in. It's all these little, little things that can have huge effects. And uh, that's that's one thing I wanted to stress. As you point out in the book, there are many different strategies for this, from the VONU to to all sorts of you know it, different ideas for this. And you talk about low profile counter economics and high profile counter economics. Tell us a
0: little bit about that. Yeah, and this is actually I, it's it it was a cool feeling for me to find conc- and talk. Profile and high profile, because <clears throat> I felt like it fit with what we were already putting forth with the vertical and horizontal, which are both, you know, con- one could be the extrovert, more bold again strategy, one's a little more subtle. And he was talking about a similar thing. The key thing that I, I just felt like, wow, that's such a powerful insight, he talked about information flow and that the key to opting out, especially in what we're talking about in relation to the technocracy. And of course, he was writing this well before the digital world that we're in today, but he could foresee what was coming. Um, He talked about controlling your information flow between you and the state, and that that was the key part to remaining free in a lot of ways. And so he talks about how going out and purchase you know in his time when he's writing this in the 80s or so you buy something somewhere and next thing you get it, you're on a telemarketer's list well now in the age of the internet we, that's a whole new level that he couldn't even imagine right you visit a website and you're clicking around you purchase something now they have all you know they, they you clicked onto the cookies and you click you signed the terms of service and now they're able to to Track you even after they leave. You you leave their website, and then they start selling you ads or sending you emails and things like that. So that is an example of poor information flow, control of information flow, because your information is flowing outwards, and they're able to identify who you are and to contact you if they need to. And so he talked about just being able to start lowering your profile and again interfacing with the the regular world and again there's there's a there's a spectrum here there are folks who are going to go completely off into the woods and we'll never hear from them and things like that but there are others who are still living a relatively uh normal life and want to and and they want to do that but they just don't want to be tracked and monitored all the time and so it comes down to recognizing uh Really, what your goal is, what sort of, what does your freedom look like in this technocratic era? I think that's the key thing that I tried to outline too. What does that look like for you? And then, what are you willing to do to get that? And then, being willing to make some would term it sacrifices, I think it's just smart choices. Uh, and controlling that information flow and most of us though if you're using uh as you know i do with different things if you're using chrome you're using microsoft built computers or things of this sort if you're not on linux if you're not on you know some of the decentralized browsers and more uh, protected internet equipment or any of these things or cell phones we have information flowing all kinds of different ways you know to private entities to governmental entities and it's so it's not just about controlling how much the state knows about you but the corporation's and i think that's a key key point that i really tried to dig into because for me that that it really just puts it in a very i guess a, a literal way to understand that you are constantly creating a, a digital footprint right as we put it now that information flow and you can either become more conscious of it or you can just blindly consume and download this app and you know, approve of this and say yes to this and you know Everybody and anybody could have access to your data, to tracking you, and as we move into the technocratic era even further, that information can and will be used against you. It will be used against you to either penalize you or to reward you, and that's what we're already seeing in places like China. We also talk about India. Uh, Singapore. I mean, this this is already happening in the world, and I, I think maybe some of us in the in the U.S. I know your audience is global, but some in the West, let's say generally, I feel like are very sheltered from what's happening right now, what's coming uh, in the coming years or so.
1: Yes, and uh, well, once again, I will just direct people towards this work, which encompasses so many of the different solutions that are there on the table for the picking right now. And uh, it does come back, as you say, to people understanding their own goals. Uh, If you don't understand what your goals are, what you are willing to sacrifice and what you aren't, if you can't really see that, if you can't plan it out, then you're never going to Tackle this in a, a concerted and 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 logical way. It's just going to be sort of willy nilly, and you'll just eventually get pulled along. So it is important to, for people to understand where it is they stand, which is why I'll direct people back to our previous conversation on holistic self assessment, which might be a good place to start, so people can actually get a grasp of where it is they stand on these issues. Uh, speaking of the topic of technocracy and its encroaching, uh, the the way it's encroaching upon our lives. Talk about your recent or your forthcoming documentary on the subject.
0: Yeah, hopefully if everything goes well. Um, so viewers are going to be listening to this this last week of January. The book will be publicly released and on sale this friday january 31st and we have some final last couple days of editing going on for my new documentary which is called the 5g trojan horse but if everything goes well they'll both be released on the same day of course i don't know if we've said this already the book is a free download like all of my all of my works if you want to download it and, and have it for free you can do so of course you can print get a print copy if you like that and the documentary will be available for free as well it's about an hour and 25 minutes and Um, honestly, I would say other than your 5g dragnet, I don't think I've seen anybody go as deep as I tried to go with this documentary and it's, and it's doing it in a way that I haven't done before. It's sort of telling a narrative, um, that's centered around 5g. It basically starts with like, Hey, I'm a journalist and I live in Houston. And in October, 2018, I found out 5g was rolling out in Houston. I didn't know much about this. I decided to research it. I went to city council and I did all this stuff. And here's what I learned, you know, because over the last year and a half, I've confronted the mayor of Houston, I've confronted the head of the FCC, I've confronted Ted Cruz, I've confronted, you know, people involved with the uh, the telecom lobby, which is the CTIA, um, as well as other local, other local official, officials, and I've interviewed various experts, both on the privacy side of things and the health side of things, and so the documentary is just kind of going to follow through that journey of all the things I found and not come off too... I would say it's it's definitely aiming for a mainstream, more of a mainstream audience. It, it's going to go deep, but I wanted it to not start off with 5G is going to fry your brain. Uh, in my experience, that's not really how you expand the message. Uh, really, that, you know, it's not going to reach people who are already skeptical. Especially as I explore in the documentary, because we have uh, the Washington Post and the New York Times telling people that those who are concerned about 5G and the smart grid are just falling prey to Russian propaganda. Uh, coincidentally they don't mention that uh, in april of last year the new york times partnered with verizon for 5g journalism and washington post partnered with at&t for 5g journalism uh, so there's a big corporate media big wireless relationship going on there and so i'm g- looking at what are you know what are emfs in general electromagnetic fields electromagnetic frequencies what is 5g what does that actually mean okay well let's look at the history of 1g 2g 3 4g and we also show the corruption, that since the very beginning, this ju- much like the internet, much like social media, these tools, they come from a military background, and they were slowly rolled out over time. But from the very beginning, they were tracking devices, and the corruption has been right there from the beginning. There have been people trying to report on studies since the 80s and the 90s uh, about various health effects, and those were um, – In many different incidents, those scientists were attacked, those researchers were attacked, they were defunded, just like what we've seen. I mean, honestly, it just feels like this is Monsanto and the FDA or something like that. You know, it's very much a revolving door relationship. Ajit Pai, who's in the FCC right now, he was a lawyer for Verizon, Uh, uh, the guy I confronted Uh, Brendan, I can't remember his name, former lawyer, they all either work for Wiley Rain, the law firm, which is a telecom lobby law firm. And then they go to the companies and then they go to the FCC and they all just do that. And then they go work for the CTIA and kind of back and forth and back and forth. So we go through that whole web and showing all that. And then also identifying the fact that this global race to 5g it's a completely industry manufactured thing there's no demand for this nobody is out there like please give us 4k downloads and we have to have this you know they're promoting it everywhere you can i mean just just right before our conversation i saw that uh, bill and i the science guy has a Let me explain 5G. And it's basically a three minute commercial for T Mobile about how great T Mobile's 5G is. And, uh, you know, he's out there to sell it to people. So they're pushing this hard. It's being completely industry funded. They're calling the global race to 5G. And they're, you know, we got to do this before China because otherwise, you know, we're going to lose the next uh, Cold War battle and all this stuff. So it's just industry generated propaganda. Uh, The CTI is working with cities like Houston and they're giving out the 5G Wireless Champion Awards to various officials who you know, play ball with them. And then of course, Trump is doing his part in the US on the federal level to carry it along. He's issued several executive orders uh, that, you know, speed up the 5G process. And honestly, for those in both of our audiences who are more on the libertarian side of things, I don't understand why there's so much silence, because this is a perfect example of statism and corporatism. You have the president of the United States issuing an executive order saying that cities can only charge X amount of dollars, they have to approve it within 60 days. I mean, it's total like, Hey, we're gonna make sure our corporate buddies get the best deal out of you, because those Trump even said some of these cities they want to charge too much and they take too long. So it's just we know what's best. Let us do the central planning from the top down and and make sure our buddies get a good deal. But uh, you know, so we're trying to do a big picture, go deep into it, and of course end with solutions. You know, what are some of the things people can do from your personal use of it to in your home, and then to the kind of bigger picture. So I hope that uh, folks will check out both because I do think they complement each other. The book's a little more hands-on and kind of specific to the technocracy, but 5G is a part of that, you know. So um, I'm just trying to take everything that I've learned in Houston over the last year and a half, and I definitely have met a lot of people who care about this. I mean, we're just, as I said, one day out from global protests around the world about 5G, and I think more and more people are recognizing the the concerns. And I want to say, man, I appreciate that in your in your piece on 5G that you emphasize that if we focus solely on the health concerns and then they produce a study that, you know, hey, here it is, here's the you know $20 million study that proves that everything is safe and there's nothing to worry about, then a lot of people's arguments could be deflated. Now, I don't think that that's true, but I do think they could try to do a strategy like that. And so it is a good idea. And I try to do this in the documentary to show people It's the privacy concerns are also a gigantic aspect of it. There's also environmental concerns. I definitely found some studies talking about, you know, the effect on everything from the worms to the soil to the trees. Um, But there's also, I think, 5G is setting a, a precedent for stripping away local power. Because, again, you have this corporatist relationship where the federal government is working for the telecom lobby and they're... Stripping away local rights and saying, no, you can't tell us where we can put this tower. Here in Houston, they're putting towers 35 feet outside of people's houses, right outside of elementary schools. You know, um, it's, it's happening everywhere. And they've now established that the government can come in with a corporation, take up public land and tell people how much they can charge, where it can go what they can do and uh you know the media is not reporting that there are huge lawsuits taking place around the us and elsewhere but if those lawsuits don't go through then it's essentially going to set a precedent that the government can partner with any corporation and override any sort of local authority and i mean it's kind of already been established and unfortunately it was sort of set into motion with the original 1996 telecommunications act from the very beginning i mean it was already kind of going in that direction and now they've just made it much more bold and uh, thankfully, some people are pushing back, but for the most part, people are either unaware this is going on because the media is, you know, being silent about it or telling them it's Russian propaganda. Um, but we're, you know, we're going to try to use this documentary to see if we can get more people asking questions.
1: Extremely important. And I'm very interested to see it because you talk, as you say, about the bigger picture of how this interlinks and some of the background, which I think is missing from a lot of the commentary I've seen on this. So I'm looking forward to that. What's the title of the documentary for people who are looking
0: for it? It's going to be the 5G Trojan Horse.
1: Excellent. Well, I'll definitely keep my eye out for it and we'll definitely let my viewers know when it is available. So thank you for that. Um, well, I think we're going to leave the conversation here how to opt out of the technocratic state and the 5G Trojan horse. A couple of things that people should be checking out in the near future, along with the consciousresistance.com generally for all the work that you're doing there. Derek, anything else you want to bring to the l- listener's attention before we go?
0: Um, I just want to say, you know, the whole summary of my book and my work is that the power really is in our hands at this point you know we get to decide where this goes from here the fact of the matter is that people are going to embrace the technocracy and they already are probably people close to you but we can either sit on the sidelines and complain about it and sort of be rushed towards it whether we like it or not or we can consciously start opting out and i think that's the only solution that i can see that can um can change the path that we're on. So I hope people will really start thinking about this in a more concrete way and less sort of abstract, distant, uh, and really see that it's right here in front of us. But I appreciate it, James.
1: All right. Excellent. And, and just before I go, I, I should note, I, I just did a, a podcast on going viral, where I introduced the idea of going embryonic as a better metaphor for what we want to happen. And I should note that actually <laughs> part of the, the genesis of that idea, I think, was from Samuel E. Conkin's idea of the stages of development of the agorist society, phase one, phase two, phase three, and how yeah. it would develop and emerge from being a little pocket in sort of growing. And then as pe- more and more people join, it becomes some... That was kind of that idea. Idea. So if people are interested cool. in sort of that idea of going embryonic and what it means, I would suggest they go to how to opt out of the technocratic state and read through that, that and, or go back to the New Libertarian Manifesto or um, the uh, Agora's Primer for more details about that, because I think that's an important idea for people to get around their head around uh, when it comes to these types of things. Again, how can something start so small and just these tiny baby steps, how can they have a big effect? Uh, it's just a little bit at a time. And I think that's an important yeah. thing for people to wrap their head around. Sorry, I <laughs> threw that in at the end. But I just want people, again, to realize the importance of uh, Konkin's work. And um, thank you again for putting that out there for people.
0: Absolutely. Here's hoping it goes embryonic. Yeah, exactly. All <laughs> right. Thank you very
1: much.